You're listening to the weekly sermon podcast from Mountain City Church. In this series, Life in Christ, we walk through 1 John, written to the church for our joy, our holiness, and our assurance. If you want to open your Bible to 1 John, we're going to continue our walk through John's writing to these uh, church in Ephesus and other churches within Asia. Uh, We're going to be looking at a large chunk of Scripture today. I know at different times we've been looking at little pieces. I've been trying to make sure that whenever we get to a doctrine that John kind of emphasizes that we take the time and stop and look at that. But today uh, we're going to look at a a pretty good chunk. We'll be looking at from 18 clear down to um, 27 today. So again, it's a pretty large chunk of Scripture, but we'll we'll get through it and... uh, and see what John has for us today. Uh, so let me pray for us to begin, and then we're just going to dive right into to what John wants us to hear today. Father, I, I thank you for each one that is here today, Father God. Most of all, and most importantly, I thank you for Jesus and all that he has done for us, Lord. We thank you for your word and your spirit that dwells um, in us, Lord. Lord, as we continue to look at and read um, your word, it then dwells in us. It's written in our hearts, so to speak. Lord, what a glorious thing that is, that not only do we have the spirit of you dwelling in us, but we have your word to rely on and to be recalled in those situations and those times when we're being lied to by our flesh, by our enemy. And Lord, we just give you praise and glory for that. Father, I just ask as we, again, open up your word, Lord, I I just ask for your spirit to work through me and in the hearts of each one here, Lord. We know that your word never comes back void, that each time it is read, each time it is sung, um, each time it is explained, Lord, that you are working in us, sometimes in big chunks and sometimes in little chunks. But Lord, you are continually working to shape us into your son's image. We give you all the praise and glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Again, I I thought it would be good just to kind of come back and look at the the overall theme of the book of 1 John, just to remind us of that um, as we are walking through this, because he's going to move into a a different way of of trying to help us in the different things that he is uh, wanting to accomplish in this letter. We, if you remember way back at the, in the very beginning, um, we said that, that John is writing this so that you and I as a believer may be joyful, right? He is also writing this that you and I as a believer might be holy. He's also writing this so that you and I as a believer have assurance of our profession of faith in Jesus Christ. And the fourth thing that we looked at was so that you can know for certain what to believe in an age of theological uncertainty. And this is kind of where he's going to swerve into um, teaching us today is this idea of being certain of what to believe in an age of theological uncertainty. In fact, he's going to point out some folks that are actually within the context of the passage are inside the church which is kind of scary a little bit, but it's also we know that we can be influenced by those outside the church. John's heart, if we remember, in all of this, he continues to say 
quite often he refers to those he's writing to as his little children, right? You can tell his, his pastoral heart. But if you, if you look at the 30,000-foot purpose, he's, he's trying to prevent the, the breaking of fellowship between God and you as a believer and then between other believers. That's kind of what he's driving at. That's what, why he's teaching us all these different doctrines so that we have the right beliefs that, that changes our values and then it affects the way we believe. So that's kind of like his, his overall overarching goal is he wants to show us how to be in fellowship with God and he wants to show us some things that might break that fellowship with God. So again, John's, he's at the end of his life and he's looking at the difficult and trying world around him, right? Because, you know, first century, we think that, oh, man, they couldn't have, well, I mean, these brothers are, if they're speaking out, they got Romans that could come and drag them out and kill them, and they got the, the Jewish people that are against them. So it's no different first century today. It's just the, the players are different, but the attitude sometimes can be the same. So it's just difficult and trying, just as it is as it is today. And he wants to remind them of the great thing the gospel offers, and that's fellowship or communion with God. Let me just ask you today, as we are coming out of, hopefully, <laughs> coming out of a pandemic, and also with this whole consistent thing happening in Russia and Ukraine, with the idea of possibly World War III at our doorstep, because it, it would only take a couple little mishaps for things to go tremendously bad worldwide. We're already feeling the, the effects of that in many different ways. But as, as you're looking at that today, maybe you're feeling a little bit um, displaced, a little bit uncomfortable, a little bit anxiety within your heart. And maybe sometimes what it does is, is as we talked about uh, last week, is has this caused us to now spend more time gratifying the desires of the flesh in order to numb the uncertainty that's around us? Like, have we, have we turned to the things of the flesh and the things of the world to kind of numb what's going on in the world around us? And, and not only in the world around us, but some of you have walked through the door today with some tremendous burdens in your own personal life. Or has this, all of this, caused you to spend more time in fellowship with God and the believers? On, on a Thursday night, we had our, our, the crew worship night, and um, the team that, that put this together and, to, and, and actually helped us worship was just phenomenal time. And maybe it was just phenomenal time because Joe really needed some time to worship. It was so, so good. We heard the word, we sang the word, and you can tell the Spirit of God was dwelling here because His people was here. It was such a good time to fellowship with God and to fellowship with other believers. This is what John's heart is. He's, he's saying, we need this. You need this. You need time with God to, to fellowship with Him and to be with Him. And you need time with your brothers and sisters in Christ. Just remember that in verse 
chapter 1, verse 4, John says, And we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. So that our joy may be complete. So he's, he's aiming for something. He's, he's saying, okay, this fellowship with God, it actually brings joy to your life. All these things of the world that he kind of warned us about last week, they're not going to bring joy. They might for a moment or a season, but they will fail you. But this fellowship with God, this time with God and his believers, this is, this is what will last forever. In fact, it's going to last for an eternity. Because whenever we leave this world, we, we get to go be with the saints and be with God for all of eternity. And it's going to be much like what, what some of us felt. I mean, it, it was tangible Thursday night. And, and what made it so tangible is, is it seemed like that those that were up here and they were playing instruments and they were singing, they weren't performing. They were just simply worshiping God. And boy, is that so contagious. That is so contagious. Just being in the presence of God. So John begins, as he's walking through this time, he has this idea of, I want to make sure that they know about the fellowship that brings so much joy. But I want to make sure that I send them some warnings that's going to kind of break this fellowship. And what he does is he begins with inside of us. Right? We, we talked about failure to keep his commandments, right? The willingness to allow God to cross your will, right? That's inside, right? Then, then he also talked about loving God and, and loving others, that, that we should prepare our hearts and, and that we should live a life of thinking of others first and, and first and foremost thinking of God first and, and how that changes us and keeps us in the fellowship with God and others. And then last week we talked about loving the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. Now what he does is in our passage today is he turns to warn us about some external things. He, he, wants, to, he wants to warn us about some external things that's going to break this fellowship. Um, first and foremost, I think it, it breaks our fellowship with one another, but most importantly, it breaks our fellowship with God. Cause of much division and and backbiting and gossip and different things like this whenever these folks that he calls the Antichrist roll into a church. So let me read these verses. John first identifies the the problem in verse 26. He says this, I write these things to you about those who are trying to deceive you. So this is this is the, the, the crooks of what he's trying to tell us today. There's some people that are trying to deceive you. There are those within the church and outside the church who are trying to deceive you about what you believe about God. Again, we see John's care for his little children. He is writing so that they know what to believe, and he writes them to warn them of those who are trying to deceive, and he calls those people antichrists. Verse 18, he says, Children, it is the last hour, and as you have heard that Antichrist is coming, so now many Antichrists have come. Therefore, we know that it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that it might become plain that they all are not of us. But you have been anointed by the Holy One, and you all have knowledge. I write to you, not because you do not know the truth, but because you know it, and because no lie um, is of the truth. 
Who is the liar but the, he who denies that Christ is, uh, Jesus is the Christ? This is the Antichrist. He who denies the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Father has the No one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever confesses the Son has the Father also. Let what you heard from the beginning abide in you. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, then you too will abide in the Son and in the Father. And this is the promise that he made to us eternal life. I write these things to you about those who are trying to deceive you. But the anointing that you receive from him abides in you. And you have no need that anyone should teach you. But as anointing teaches you about everything, and is true, and is no lie, just as it has taught you, abide in him. And now, little children, abide in him, so that when he appears, we may have confidence and not shrink from him in shame at his coming. So what John is doing is, is he's posting a warning about those who deceive, but the bigger point is to help us not to break fellowship with God. And he gives us the remedy in verse 24. Let what you heard from the beginning abide in you. So what you heard from the beginning. So he's telling these people that are they're hearing this letter or reading this letter, that he's saying to them, okay, let what we taught you, what the apostles taught you, abide in you. Let the word of God, the word of truth, abide in you. We can kind of sum it up this way. Abiding in the word of God and the spirit of God are our only hope for stability in a world filled with Antichrist. Abiding in the word of God and the spirit of God are our only hope for stability in a world filled with Antichrist. So who are these Antichrists? Antichrists are those who deceive, deny, and depart. That's what John shows us here. They deceive, they deny, and then they depart. So where are these antichrists? Well, antichrists are um, both inside the church and they're outside the church. They're part of parachurch organizations and they're in the world. 1 John 2.18, children, it is the last hour, and as you have heard that antichrist is coming... So now many antichrists have come. Therefore, we know that it is the last hour. So what does he mean by this last hour? Sometimes we can get confused or we can run down all kinds of of rabbit trails whenever we get into the things that might allude to, right, the end times and different things like that. We don't want to do that, right? So the last hour is simply this. It is the time between the first coming and the second coming of Jesus, so we've been in the last hour for over 2,000 years. It is a, just an expression that they use several different times within um, the New Testament, but that's what it means. We are in the last hour. We are anxiously waiting the return of Jesus. We are in the last hour. And in fact, we don't know when it's going to end. So anybody that, that, that writes a book or makes a prediction or this, that, and the other, they're going to be wrong. Simply put, because Jesus, what did Jesus say? Jesus said, I don't know the hour or the time when the Father is going to send me back. He doesn't even know. So how can us humans, right, finite humans, actually try to figure this out? So that's just all he means by when he he talks about the last hour. In this verse, John also compares the Antichrist 
with those antichrists who are among us, right? So he, ha- he has a compare here. The Antichrist, that's, this is a figure that is, that is written about in Revelation where at the end times he's a political figure that rises up and that everybody is, is, um, runs to him and, and puts their loyalty to, to this Antichrist who is, is empowered by Satan. And so he's talking about the Antichrist at the end time and then he's talking about Antichrist who are among us now. That's the differentiation that he's making here. So at the, at the very base level, what is an antichrist? Is someone who is against Christ or in place of Christ. That's what the word antichrist means. It's against Christ or in place of Christ. The antichrist, again, is that political figure at the end, but he's saying that today, um, as we live, as we attend churches, and as we live among those that are professing to believe in Jesus, there are those that are antichrists, those that have a different agenda, right? Those that are trying to lead others away. They, they come in, and, and they talk the good talk, and they walk some, somewhat um, close enough of the walk, but in reality, um, their purpose is to deceive and, and to do the same thing that Satan does, which is, you know, kill, steal, and destroy. So antichrists are those who deny the incarnation, right? They deny Jesus' sonship. They deny the, the basis of who Jesus is, and, and they try to replace him with other ideas that they might have of who Jesus is. This is kind of the, the broad definition of Antichrist. And, and, you know, as I was working through this and, and trying to think of, okay, how, you know, when I say this, we're going to, to pinpoint and, and begin to judge and, and to start looking at it that way. And, and I, I don't think that we can, we can do that. He's trying to give us a broad spectrum of who these people are. And not only that, he gives us the, the, the ultimate, the judgment that we can see and maybe point to, and that's when they leave, and I know that we'll get there, and I'm getting ahead of myself, but, but he's saying that those that within this uh, faith family that he's speaking of specifically, and many times within our faith families, is those that are um, actually antichrist, those that are against Christ, that have their own theories and thoughts about who Jesus is, and they want to, they want to, they wanna, um, uh, influence others um, to think of Jesus in that way and bring them along their path. Many times that they, 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 they're here for a while and then they leave. And we see that that's one indication that that's who they truly are. Unfortunately, many times they leave and go to a different church, which thankfully, if you have good and honest you know, elders and people that are watching over the flock, they'll pick up the phone and make the phone call and say, look, they're coming. (laughs) Give you a warning. This is what we experienced, right? And that's a good thing. That's a healthy thing. It's a healthy thing. So it's these antichrists are those who do not confess Jesus as Lord. And see, whenever you say something like that, it, it... we can fall into the, the idea of, of an immature, someone that's just learning the faith and are, are, are 
working, working their faith out and they're learning who Jesus is and, and, and maybe they saw something and, and it sounded good to them and, and they kind of worked it and maybe they repeat it and then they need to be corrected by those that love them and, and know what the Word of God says. That's not what John is talking about, right? So, so I guess what we need to keep in mind is the motive behind this, Right? And, and, and the main differentiation between an antichrist and a believer is the Holy Spirit, which John gets to again towards the end. It's, it's being born again, right? It's, it's being controlled and, and, and being used by Satan to do a work of, right, of uh, disunity within, within the body of Christ. But, but it's, that's the difference. Um, I know I'm trying to hit it at, at so many different angles because... Because in, in my mind, I can see, if I'm listening to someone say this, that the next time someone says something wrong about who Jesus is, I don't want you guys to say, hey, hey, th- this is an antichrist, get him out of here. That's not what I'm saying. And, and I know I'm going overboard on it, but I just don't want that to happen, right? Uh, it'll, it'll reveal itself. It honestly will as, as time goes by. Um, and I might be getting ahead of my notes, but oh well, it's, it's, we'll do it now. Um, I, there's been times where these type of people have walked into this church. They've spent time in this church. And the beautiful thing is, is it never made it to the level of the elders having to step in and do something. You guys took care of it. It, it was phenomenal to see. And, and some of you don't even know that you were part of it that you were part of the correction, you were part of, of, of surrounding them with the good biblical and, and what the Word of God says about it, that they became so uncomfortable that they just left. It's been interesting to see, especially whenever you're reminded of it, whenever you open up a passage like that, like this today. John's going to come back to this idea um, later on in the letter, in 1 John 4, 3, he says this, is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you heard was coming and now is in the world today. So this, this idea that the spirit of the Antichrist, right, is, is those that are being influenced not by the Holy Spirit, but by Satan to go and do destruction, to go and do, dis, to have, to make disunity within the body. This is those people. He brings these ideas together in verses 22 and 23. Who is the liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? This is the Antichrist. So he gives us the definition, right? Those who deny that Jesus is the Christ. And and that could be unpacked so many different ways because sometimes uh, um, many different ways in our life we can deny Jesus as Christ, because we will give him control over certain things in our life, but there are certain things in our life that, no, it's off limits. Well, then that means that he's not Lord of all, right? And see, that's, the, that's, what, that's where I'm, you see me wrestling right here today with this. I, I, I don't want you to think that someone that is just progressively moving in sanctification it can be called out to be an antichrist. I, I just don't want you guys to see that or hear that. Um, and then verse 23 says, No one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever confesses the Son has the Father also. Now one commentator believes, 
Uh, this spirit of the Antichrist, right? This, this idea um, of who the Antichrist is, those that are purposefully looking to cause harm to the Christian and, and to the faith, family, and difference. Um, the spirit of the Antichrist that is at work within the walls of the church today is actually a redefining of Christ. They're redefining the Christ. They're not exactly like they are not truly um, looking at who Christ is. But what's happening is is he's being redefined as something, which I, I guess in some senses is, is the same thing that those that were that he's talking about here are doing by denying the incarnation and denying that he's not the Son. But they're actually redefining who Christ is, which. I agree, and it actually led me to ask that question of some within our congregation. How does our culture redefine Jesus? Now, the, the neat thing is, is as I asked um, several different people um, and, and got um, all returns, you know, all the, the different uh, feedback back, a couple things that I found amazing is that many of them gave me the point that, well, our culture doesn't think about Jesus. Hmm, that's, that's a good point. Right? So that kind of slanted their, their answer in the, in the way that they, they really went to inside the church. Those that are professing believers, whether they're, they're members of a church or attend a church or maybe part of a parachurch or, or just a claiming, they claim to be a Christian, but yet they never go to church. You know, they're talking, so they, they kind of went that way with, with the answers, which was, was fascinating that, that, that's like half of them or more than half of them actually voiced that, but all of them answered it with that presupposition, which I found fascinating to, sh- to show something about um, how the, God, the Word of God actually works in us. That, that they realize and they understand that, okay, if before we have the Holy Spirit in us, we're not thinking about Jesus. <laughs> uh, yeah, we might think about him a little bit because someone is... is, is, is um, evangelizing us and, and talking to us about that, but on a day-to-day basis, we really just don't think about him, right, if we're not born again, which that's a very good point. It's a very theological point of who we are before God saves us. Um, so maybe the, the better question should have been this. How is the spirit of the Antichrist redefining Jesus in the church today? Um, either way, the, the answers were really good. Now, let me give you some of the answers that, that they came up with. So, the reason why I wanted to do this, because I'm thinking, okay, how are we sitting here today, Joe, as a Christian, and I came to church today, but how am I viewing and thinking of Jesus? Have I already been influenced by some antichrists, right, who have given me a false look at, the, at who Jesus is? Have I already been influenced by them? And, and maybe this would be a good check for you to think through and, and actually um, look at your own walk and what you believe about God. Um, the number one answer by far, and it, it, even those that gave me multiple answers, they had this answer within um, their answer was this, that each one of us are in, in some way, not each one of us, but, but those uh, that are doing this, they're forming Jesus into our own image. That's like the number one redefin, redefining Jesus, we, we make Jesus into what we want him to be, right? Um, and we see this, see this in all kinds of places. The number two thing that would be summed up this way, uh, loving without judgment, that Jesus is this person. He loves without judgment, 
There's no judgment, and he's affirming without any of the commands, right? Or without the obedience part of it. It's kind of how they're seeing Jesus being redefined. Number three is this: Jesus is a get out of free, uh, get out of jail free card. I will claim his name and live however I please. I will claim his name, but I live however I please. That's kind of how he's being redefined. Jesus loves you for who you are, even if it's contrary to his word. Like this idea that, no, I've looked inside of myself. I'll define who I am. This is who I am. And even though it lines up, it's contrary to what the word of God says, Jesus must accept me because, you know, Jesus, God is love, right? Um, so that's another redefining um, concept that's, that's floating around. Uh, another reason given is that we like his teaching, but we don't believe he is God. He's a good teacher, kind of like Buddha and some other folks, which is something John has said as well, right? That John has said as well. So as you can see, my point here is that the spirit of the Antichrist is alive and well. It's deceiving, denying, and it's departing. Again, is the actual way we see them for who they are within the church. And that's what John says. So how can we identify these antichrists? Well, first, if they go against the word, this is pretty simple. Uh, but sometimes we do disagree on the word. But there's some basics that we can all agree on and have to agree on. But it's those who purposely are causing harm um, will eventually depart. 1 John 2.19 says, They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that it might become plain that they all are not of us. Alistair Begg says it well. There are some who share for a while our earthly company who do not share our heavenly birth. So again, he, he, we're making the differentiation. It's, it's those that are born again, okay? Those are those that are struggling and may get some things wrong in, in their lifetime and maybe may think some, some uh, things that are wrong, wrong ideas about who Jesus is that will eventually get corrected through the Holy Spirit and his word. That's not who we're talking about. We're talking about those that are, were never born again. They were never among us. And it's going to be revealed because they're going to leave eventually. They will leave. Don says, this is a sign that they were never saved in the first place. They leave to make it plain they were not born again. Perseverance is the proof of possession. In other words, if we're going to persevere, that's, that is the proof of any of us being saved. Will you persevere? Will you persevere to the end? That's the, the main proof. I mean, we do so much whenever we, we do membership and different things like that to try to understand the, the background, where you came from, you know, what you would say about how God saved you and, and different things like that. We do our best. But it's not until the very end, the, the, the perseverance that we'll truly know, right? That's what John's saying. Defection from the fellowship gives evidence of a defective faith. That was certainly John's perspective. What he does here is he contrasts the they and the us in verse 19. It's just pretty striking. Um, there are two spiritual teams as John sees it. There's an us and there is them. 
Uh, several observations can be made about each team. First, the they team do not last, right? They left. They went out from us. Most likely this was a, a voluntary departure, not you know, church discipline. So many, sometimes it does get into church discipline, but, but many times they, they just leave whenever they, they can no longer influence enough people to get what they want to do. Both, but both are certainly possible. Second, their departure proves that they were never really a part of us, regardless of what they once professed. In other words, they were never truly saved. They never truly experienced the new birth of regeneration. They were and are lost. The us team, in contrast, remains in the fellowship and perseveres. As tragic as this verse is in one hand, it is glorious and comforting in the other. Why is that? Because it is wonderful affirmation of what we call the perseverance of the saints. Those who truly belong to Christ will stay with Christ, not because of how awesome I am, not because of a decision that I made at some point in time. Not because I follow all the rules and, and I am a super Christian. No, none of that. It's because, as Jude 1 says, we are kept for Jesus. We are kept. We are not holding on to God. God is holding on to us. That is such a wonderful and beautiful doctrine. It's amazing how many people push back against that. What a wonderful doctrine. Jesus addresses this wonderful truth in John 10, where he says, My sheep hear my voice. I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, ever. No one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father, who has given them to me, is greater than all. No one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. Nobody can snatch. If you are born again, where in the Bible can we see that somehow we can become unborn again? It's impossible. If you are born of God, God will keep you. You have the Holy Spirit dwelling in you. This is why John is reminded us that we have an advocate whenever we do stumble. That Jesus is praying for us. That's why he's already told us that whenever we do sin, to go and repent. Because your sins will be forgiven. This position that John is showing us here because of the negative part of the Antichrist who leave, and he's showing the Christian that, that, hey, you, if you are a believer in Christ and you have been born again and the Holy Spirit dwells in you, you cannot be lost. He is holding on to you. He keeps you for Jesus Christ. The Baptist faith and message says it like this. All true believers endure to the end. Those whom God has accepted in Christ and sanctified by his spirit will never fall away from the state of grace, but shall persevere to the end. Believers may fall into sin through neglect and temptation, whereby they grieve the spirit, impair their graces and comforts, and bring reproach on the cause of Christ and temporal judgments on themselves. Yet they shall be kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation.
Yeah, we may sin and we may grieve the Spirit. And it it might feel like you're so far from God. But he still has you. You've been given to a son. He's he's not going to lose you. You're his sheep. You're his children. Again, I, I just feel the need to remind you the care God puts into your salvation. And when we unpack what, what the Word of God says about everything that God has done in order to save his rebellious children, man, it's, it's not just a prayer. It's just not, oh, I'll raise my hand and go to the front. Look at everything that God has done to save you. It's just incredible how he, he, he dropped the Holy Spirit at, at Pentecost and then all these people scattered and, and all these people that scattered are proclaiming the good news and, and what comes with the good news of what Jesus has done is the power of the Holy Spirit to actually regenerate people. And then how that just started with a, a group of 3,000 people and that 2,000 years later we're sitting in Frostburg, Maryland Stop and think about that. As one generation after another generation after another generation passed on who Jesus is and what he has done. So that one day we heard the good news and then our dark hearts that continually rebel against God were awakened by the Holy Spirit and we were born again. That's just amazing. And as we get the Spirit, then he gives us the faith to, 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 to turn and trust in him. To these antichrists that, that John talks about, they deceive, they deny, and they depart. And what is John's solution of not falling prey to one of these people, to not being deceived? Well, it's simple. We are to abide in the word and spirit. But you have been anointed by the Holy One, and that's Jesus when he refers to it here. And you all have knowledge. I write to you not because you do not know the truth, but because you know it, and because no lie is of the truth. But the anointing that you receive from him abides in you, and you have no need that anyone should teach you. But as his anointing teaches you about everything, and is true, and is no lie, just as it has taught you, abide in him. Abide in him. The anointing refers to the receiving of the Holy Spirit. John 15, 26 says, But when the Helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. John 16, 13 says, When the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak. And he will declare to you the things that are to come. We who are born again have the Holy Spirit dwelling in us. Some have been tripped up by verse 27, which seems to imply that having been given the Spirit, we now need no human teachers, right? I just open my word and I'll say a prayer and, and, and it happens that way. And just as I said those words, there is some truth to that. 
There, there is some truth that, that if, if one of the tools that we're not using to, to better understand the Word of God and to, and to better understand who God is and what He has done and who Jesus is, if one of those tools isn't praying and asking the Holy Spirit to help us, if that's not one of our tools, you need to add it to it. But what John is not saying, he's not saying, well, we don't need anybody to teach us. We don't need any of that. It's just me, the Bible, and the Holy Spirit. I'm thankful for teachers. I'm thankful for those that, that, that I trust. And, and, and really, I think of it as this. If you have the Holy Spirit in you, there's something that I can learn from you. There's something I can learn. It doesn't matter if you have been saved for like 30 seconds. There's something I can learn from you because you are different from me and, and God has changed your heart. Colossians 3.16 says, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom. By the way, he's talking about the whole body singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Therefore, we can confidently say that John is not ruling out human teacher. The fact that he wrote this letter makes that clear. It said, this is what it is, he is getting at. At the time he wrote, the Antichrist, the false teachers, were insisting that the teaching of the apostles was to be supplemented with additions. Right? They were redefining Jesus as we kind of put it today. There needs to be a higher knowledge or an advantage knowledge, advanced knowledge that they claim that, that they possess that, oh, you don't have. This is, uh, unfortunately, we swerve into this whenever we talk about the baptism in the Spirit, right? We swerve into this saying that, that there's a, a higher thing that you need to reach. Well, no. If you have the Holy Spirit, you have the Holy Spirit. Okay? And... and if you want more of the Holy Spirit, then you need to get rid of sin in your life so that, that he can flow through you, right? That's why Luther would say that the Christian life is one of repentance, so that we're not quenching the Holy Spirit. John's response was that what the readers were taught under the Spirit's ministry through the apostles was not only adequate, it was the only reliable truth. That's why he keeps talking about truth within there. That's the truth, the truth that these apostles taught. Daniel Aiken says this, The teaching ministry of the Holy Spirit, what we call illumination, does not involve revelation of new truth. Rather, it is the enablement to appropriate God's truth that has already been revealed. All things necessary for salvation are ours. We need nothing more. Let the Holy Spirit be your guide, not another spirit. And here he's referring to the spirit of the Antichrist. What does the Holy Spirit illuminate? Well, it's, he illuminates the Word of God. That's why we want you to read the Word of God, and that's why we try to build atmospheres where you're being held accountable to read the Word of God. Because without reading the Word of God, then there's nothing for the Holy Spirit to illuminate within you. We pray as we read and study the Word, asking the Holy Spirit for help. In my experience, oftentimes, this is not immediate. 
Like so many times, one of the things that I do, so what I'll do tomorrow morning is I get up and I'll, I'll start reading next week's passage. And I might do uh, look at a couple different words if I, I don't immediately know what they might mean within this context of the thing. And then I just let that be in my brain. Now, I'll read it over and over and over again all week long. And it's just amazing how many times that, that as I'm living this out as far as like reading the word and putting this word in me, that, that God will, will give me an illustration or, or show me this. And it's usually um, from interacting with the world around me. And this is it's interesting how God does that. He'll, he'll bring passages or illustrations from Jesus to your mind as um, it's, it's no different for you guys. Um, we have the same spirit dwelling in us. John kind of challenges the believer to simply remain in the teaching of Christ that they have received at the beginning, at conversion. To abide and remain in this teaching is to abide and remain in both the Son and the Father. Jesus plus nothing equals everything. Jesus plus something equals heresy. Herman um, Bevink says this, Christ is Christianity itself. He stands out not outside of it, but in its center. Without his name, person, and work, there is uh, nothing more. Let the Holy Spirit... Well, okay. There is no Christianity left. In a word, Christ does not point out the way to... Christ, uh, Sorry, guys. Let me try this again. <laughs> it's messing up. Christianity, Christ, let me read it up there. <laughs> it's like, what's going on? It's, something got bumped. Christ is Christianity itself. He stands not outside of it, but in its center. Uh, without his name, person, and work, there's no Christianity left. In a word, Christ does not point out the way to salvation. He is the way Itself. So whenever we're, we're leaving Christ as the center and adding things to it, that's when we're getting in trouble, right? This is what the apostle taught. This is what the word says. This is what the spirit affirms. This is what we believe. This is where we abide. This is what we confess. Eternal life is what we are promised right here in John. If we abide in him, and if we are not deceived, right, by those who are teaching other or adding to or redefining who Jesus is, we must abide in him and his word. Let's pray. Father, I just ask that, um, Lord, that your spirit would work in us. Lord, that as we gather for community groups, that, that anything that might have been uh, confusing, as I'm trying to do my best to explain, um, Lord, that you will work out as the, the believers gather together who all have the Holy Spirit dwelling in them. And they ask for your help to understand better. Lord, but maybe it's, it's the point that we can never, ever be lost. 
that gives us comfort today. Because if we can never be lost and we've been promised eternal life, then there's nothing this world can do to us. It, it, we'll hurt, we'll suffer, we'll grieve loss. But in the end, we spend eternity with you where there are no tears, there are no pain, there is no sin. And we need to hold on to that hope. And we can't hold on to that hope if we think that every time we sin, we're losing our salvation. We must understand that you are holding us. You are keeping us. What a wonderful comfort that is. Lord, I just ask if there's anyone here who does not know you, they heard the good news that Jesus Christ came, lived a perfect sinless life, who went to the cross in our place to take the penalty that we deserve, who was buried and rose again and now sits at the right hand of the Father advocating for his children. Lord, I pray that you would send a spirit to save someone if they need to. Be saved that they would turn and put their trust in you today. Father, we just give you all the praise and glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the weekly sermon podcast from Mountain City Church. To learn more about our church, visit our website at mountaincty.church. Thanks again, and may the Lord bless your week.